of today's message is Christ, the Lamb of God. John 1, 29. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. God's Word often refers to Jesus Christ as the Lamb. I want to go through several here, and we won't look up every one of them, but uh, I'm doing this to illustrate how often Christ is presented as the Lamb of God in the Scriptures. Isaiah 53, 7 refers to Him as being brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And in our text, John the Baptist says, as he points his hearers to Jesus Christ, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. In verses 35 and 36 of this same chapter, we read these words again the next day after, John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. Now turn to Acts chapter 8 and verse 32. Acts chapter 8 and verse 32 refers to Isaiah 53, 7 that we've already read. As Philip witnesses to the Ethiopian eunuch. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb, dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. Peter speaks of Christ as a lamb. When he says in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now then, I want you to turn to the book of Revelation because we'll look at several passages there. The book of Revelation will start with chapter 5 when you get there. Revelation 5, 6 refers to Christ as the Lamb in the midst of the throne and a Lamb as it had been slain and a Lamb in the midst of the elders. First turn to chapter, uh, chapter 5 and verse 12. Chapter 5 and verse 12 says that those in heaven will sing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Revelation 6.1 says, The Lamb opened one of the seven seals. Turn to 7.9. Revelation 7 and verse 9 says, That the great multitude that's going to be saved during the tribulation will stand before the Lamb. And after this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Turn to 714 here. 
It, this verse says that it is in the blood of the Lamb that this multitude washed their robes white. These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 12, 11 says that it is by the blood of the Lamb that the victory is won. Revelation 13, 8 speaks of the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. 14.1 says that the Lamb stood on Mount Zion. And verse 4 of that same chapter says the redeemed multitude is seen following the Lamb. Look next at 15.3. Revelation 15.3 speaks of those in heaven when it says and they sing the song of Moses the servant of God and the song of the Lamb saying great and marvelous are thy works Lord God Almighty just and true are thy ways thou King of Saints now look at 1714 <clears throat> Chapter 17 and verse 14 speaks of how the Lamb wars and overcomes. These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. <coughs> Next chapter 19, verses 7 through 9 speaks of the marriage of the Lamb. Revelation 19, 7 through 9. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Revelation 21.9 speaks of the Lamb's wife. 21.14 says that the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb are written on the foundations of the heavenly city. Revelation 21.23 says that the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of the heavenly city. The same verse says that the Lamb is the light of that city. Two more in Revelation 21, 27 speaks of the book of life of the Lamb. And Revelation 22, 1 through 3, we see the Lamb glorified and seated on the eternal throne of God. Now, besides all of these, there are a number of other not-so-direct references in the Scriptures to Christ as the Lamb. Well, in our study this morning, we're going to consider four vitally important things of which our text reminds us when it speaks of Christ as the Lamb. Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of of the world. First of all, we need to consider the matter of why Christ is called the Lamb. 
Have you ever just stopped and thought about that? Why is he spoken of as the Lamb? Now, I want to suggest four reasons here, although there are undoubtedly more than this. But first of all, Jesus Christ is called the Lamb because in Old Testament Israel, lambs were used for sacrifice. According to Exodus 12, 3, the Passover was to involve the sacrifice of a lamb. And uh, we're going to come back to the Passover here in a minute. Next, turn to Exodus 29, 38 and 39. Exodus 29, 38 and 39. Here lambs were used in the daily morning and evening sacrifices at the tabernacle and later in the temple. Now this is that which thou shalt offer upon the altar to lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. The one lamb thou shalt offer in the morning, and the other lamb thou shalt offer at even. The, the, the significance of the sacrificial lambs in the Old Testament was that their blood was shed in the sacrifices. And Leviticus 17.11 says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it unto you, uh, I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. So Christ being called a lamb in the scriptures speaks of his sacrificial character. He is called a lamb mainly in reference to his sacrificial death, since it was a lamb that was used for the sacrifices. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, <coughs> Paul plainly says that Christ is our Passover, meaning he is our Passover lamb. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Paul says. A second reason that Christ is called a lamb in the scripture is because lambs were substitutes for their offerers. Turn to Leviticus 1.4. Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 4. This passage instructs the worshiper to place his hand on the head of his sacrificial lamb, thus indicating that the lamb was a substitute for the worshiper. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Now those, the worshiper placing his hand on the head of the substitutionary lamb symbolize the transfer of the offerer's guilt to the substitutionary lamb. Here's how the sacrifices of the lambs work. The guilty worshiper placed his hand on the head of the lamb and confessed his sins. And then the priest 
cut the lamb's throat with his knife. The lifeblood was sprinkled on the altar and on the body of the worshiper. And the vital parts of the lamb were placed in the flames, which symbolized God's justice and God's judgment. And all of this was typical of what Christ the lamb would do for sinners. He would serve as their substitute. Their guilt would be transferred to him. He would be slain. His blood would be shed. And his body and soul would suffer the justice and wrath of God. So it's quite a picture. It's a full picture. Those sacrificial lambs of Christ the Lamb of God. The symbolic transfer of the sins of the worshiper to the head of the sacrificial lamb pointed to the laying of the sins of God's people on Christ the substitute. Isaiah 53, 6 is speaking of this aspect of the work of Christ as the lamb when it says, The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The bloody sacrifices of lambs in Old Testament Israel were intended by God to symbolize and typify the substitution of Christ in the place of his guilty people. It also symbolized satisfaction for the offerer's guilt by vicarious or substitutionary death of the lamb. Thirdly, Christ is called a lamb in the scriptures because a lamb speaks of innocence. Sacrificial lambs in Old Testament Israel had to be without blemish and without spot. Exodus 12, 5 is speaking of the Passover lamb when it says, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year fact that the sacrificial lambs were without spot or blemish spoke typically of Christ's holy, spotless, sinless human nature. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was free from all stain and defilement and guilt of sin. He was truly spotless. 1 Peter 1.19 speaks of the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And so there's how we know to interpret what without blemish and without spot means. Part of the high value of Christ's sacrifice was in the sinless purity of that sacrifice. Fourthly, Christ is called the lamb or a lamb in the scriptures because lambs spoke of voluntariness. Now, that is a word. We don't use it much, but it, it describes what is involved here. Voluntariness. When the Lord Jesus was crucified, he appeared like a defenseless, unresisting lamb in the mouth of Satan, the savage, roaring lion. When Christ is called the Lamb of God, it speaks of the voluntary nature of his suffering. Acts 8.32 says that Christ is led, not driven, as a lamb 
to the slaughter. He voluntarily went. The Old Testament sacrificial lambs were types of Christ, the Lamb of God. All of the Old Testament sacrifices that God commanded were just pictures or types or shadows of the one sacrifice, Christ himself. The Passover lambs pictured Christ. The daily morning and evening lambs were typical of Christ. The lambs of the burnt offering and the trespass offering pointed forward to Christ the lamb. The Paschal or Passover lamb especially pointed to Christ because it was clearly required to be without spot. Not a bone of him was to be broken. It was roasted with fire and its blood delivered its offerers from the destroying angel of God's judgment. Christ, whom Paul says is our Passover lamb, was even crucified on the Passover day. Lamb of God was slain in type each time the Old Testament sacrificial lambs were offered. Now, the great important point here is that there is only one sacrifice for sin. There never was another, and there never can be another. The Old Testament lambs just made typical atonement. But the Lamb of God made a real atonement. 1 John 2, 2 speaks of Christ the Lamb when it says and He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world. In our text, John the Baptist declared, Behold the Lamb of God. There before John that day stood the one whom all the Old Testament sacrifices had typified and foreshadowed. Now it's significant that the forerunner announced Jesus Christ here not as the Word of God. He didn't say, Behold the Word of God. He did not, uh, he did not announce him as the Christ of God, he announced him as the Lamb of God. And this was the office in which Israel stood most in need of Christ. Israel wanted him. They would have welcomed him on the throne. But first, they must accept him on the altar as the Lamb of God. The issue is the same today. The religious world today will accept Christ as a social reformer, as a teacher, as an ethicist, but what the way the world needs him today is as a sacrifice for sin. Well, the second thing that we're going to consider in connection with Christ the Lamb of God is the matter of why Christ is called the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And there are at least two reasons as to why Christ is called the Lamb of God. First, he's called the Lamb of God 
because he is the lamb appointed by God. Christ was chosen and ordained of God to be the great sacrifice for sin. God appointed Christ the Lamb from all eternity. Uh, turn to 1 Peter 1, 19 and 20. 1 Peter 1, verses 19 and 20. Peter says here that God's elect are redeemed not with gold or silver or precious stones, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who, Christ the Lamb, verily or truly was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last days for you. So my friends, if God has appointed this lamb, this guarantees, it guarantees his acceptance of everyone who presents this lamb to him. Second, Christ is called the lamb of God because he is the lamb provided by God. Under the Old Testament law, men were required to provide the sacrifice. You had to bring your own lamb. But the one sacrifice of the gospel is provided by God. What Abraham said to Isaac in Genesis 22:8 relates to the sacrifice needed by sinners today. God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Christ is the lamb of God in that God provided him. Jesus Christ was love's greatest gift, God's unspeakable gift, as Paul calls him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's 1 John 4.10. God spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, says Romans 8.32. So Christ is the lamb provided by God. We did not choose Christ as our lamb or sacrifice. God appointed him, and God provided him. And here, if you're here today and you're a sinner without Christ, if God appointed and provided the lamb of God, what more could you possibly need or want to bring to God as a sacrifice for your sins? And yet, people always want to bring something else. I'm a member of such and such a church. I was baptized when I was a kid. I've always tried to live a good life. Why bring that mess? Bring the God-appointed and God-provided sacrifice. The third thing I'd like us to consider in connection with this text is what Christ the Lamb of God has done for sinners. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. The world here refers to people in general without regard of their nationality. 
people of all nations and races and languages, Gentiles as well as Jews. Turn to Revelation 5, 9, which expresses this truth very clearly. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Now that defines what the world means back there in John 1.29. <laughs> all kinds of people, people from all over the world. Sin, in our text, speaks especially of the guilt for sin. Taking away sin speaks of the Lamb's voluntarily taking sin's guilt upon himself and becoming responsible to God's justice for that guilt. Taking away sin means bearing it away, as Isaiah speaks of his doing in Isaiah 53, 4. Let's look at that. Isaiah 53 and verse 4. <clears throat> Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. They were laid on him iniquity of us all, and he carried them, he bore them. In taking away the sins of his people, Christ the Lamb bore that sin in his own body on the cross and carried it away like the scapegoat did in Old Testament Israel. 1 Peter 2.24 says of Christ the Lamb that he bare our sins in his own body on the tree. In the blood of Christ the Lamb, we have redemption from the wrath to come because Christ the Lamb was burnt and roasted in the fire of God's wrath as he suffered and died on the cross. He endured the scorching heat of God's wrath against sin. The fire of God's wrath fell on him that we might escape. The reason the sacrifices of those Old Testament lambs had to be offered again and again was to show that they could not really take away guilt. Therefore, God would provide a victim that could do so once for all. <clears throat> There's an old hymn. It's not in most of our modern hymns. It goes like this. Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. But Christ, the heavenly Lamb, takes all our sins away, a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. Now the fourth and final thing we shall consider in connection with this text is what Christ's character as the Lamb of God calls for us to do. Every scripture isn't some doctrine just to be enjoyed and thought about and meditated on and then go home and get in your easy chair. It calls for action. 
calls for us to do something every day. And Christ's character as the Lamb of God calls for us to do three things. First, it calls for us to behold Him. To behold, as used in Bible times, means to look at something. Behold, the Lamb of God means look at the Lamb of God. You know, I, I like to envision John saying that. I think he said something in our way of speaking. Look, there he is, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Christ Jesus demands our attention. We must behold him. We must look at him in such a way that our hearts are broken because we have crucified and slain him by our sins. This is the look of repentance. This is the look of which the prophet Zechariah spoke in Zechariah 12.10 when he said, And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. So behold the Lamb means the look of repentance that produces sorrow and grief over sin. Ultimately, to behold the Lamb is to believe in Him and trust in Him for salvation. Sinner friend listening to me today, behold the Lamb of God. Look to Him in faith. Trust Him. Love Him. Faith is the eye by which the saint can see invisible heavenly things. How do we know those things in heaven are true? How do we know the Lamb is in the midst of the throne in heaven? Because we see it with the eye of faith. Behold the Lamb. Christ, the bloody sacrifice for sinners, is the object of faith. To savingly behold the Lamb is to believe in Him. To acknowledge Christ as one sin-removing sacrifice is to do what Christ calls for in Isaiah 45, 22, where He says, Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. Behold Him you who have not yet trusted in Him. Behold the Lamb of God. In faith, accept Him as your substitute. Will you trust in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, for your soul to take away your sin? My friend, if you die without trusting in Christ, you will still behold Him someday at the judgment. Only to hear Him say those awful words, Someone said the worst words in the Bible. Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. Those who do not behold the Lamb of God in faith now will one day feel what the book of Revelation calls the wrath of the Lamb. Everyone listening to my voice today should behold the Lamb of God. The whole world will behold Him at last. When the scripture says that 
every eye shall see him. The saved will behold him in glory forever. The second thing Christ's character as the Lamb of God calls for us to do is to proclaim him. It was the preacher, John the Baptist, who proclaimed that day early in Christ's ministry, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin, sins of the world. The great and solemn work of God's preachers in every age is to call men and women to behold the Lamb of God. John the Baptist made no emotional appeal. You know, I, a long time ago I heard a preacher preach several nights in a, in a revival meeting. Every sermon ended with an emotional story about some teenager that turned the Lord down in the service and went out and got in his car and took off and got killed in a car wreck. John the Baptist made no emotional appeal. Nor did he make any threatening. Nor did he beg anyone. Nor did he put on the high pressure treatment. He just made a simple proclamation of the truth. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. The third thing Christ's character as the Lamb of God calls for us to do is to praise Him. Turn again to Revelation 5. Revelation chapter 5. Look at uh, this fifth chapter of Revelation. Uh, let me give you the background first. The scene is in heaven where angels and saints alike are singing the praises of Christ. And it's with reference to his character as the Lamb that they are praising him. Look at verses 12 through 14 of Revelation 5. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Notice they do not say here, Worthy is the lion of the tribe of Judah. What they say is, Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Now why would Revelation speak so often of Christ as the lamb? when this book carries us far beyond the cross out into the future. It is because we shall always rejoice in our connection with this one who died for us and we shall always give our greatest praises to him because of his sacrificial work of saving us from our sins. Even in the midst of eternal glory, we're going to do this. Crown him with many crowns, the Lamb upon the throne. Hark, 
how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. All hail, Redeemer, hail, for thou hast died for me. Thy praise and glory shall not fail throughout eternity. Let us pray. Our Father, we're thankful for Christ 